think companies have got to ask themselves what's stopping them starting to transition to something more circular. I really think that the circular economy is probably the best example of a cross-silo opportunity that businesses have. Hello and welcome to another One Tape podcast from Axia Origin. This episode focuses on how global trends in sustainability have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. As a planet, we currently find ourselves at an interesting crossroads. The coronavirus has forced the entire world to completely change the way we run businesses, perform our work and live our lives. Today, I am joined by Nikki and Marios from our team, and we are exploring exactly what this means for the future of sustainability and how businesses might navigate a sustainable path themselves in the new normal. So Nikki, at Axia Origin, we've been thinking a lot about the global transition towards sustainability with more sustainably driven businesses and the increasing support for using circular economy principles to design organisations. Um, what's your take on this, given where we are with COVID-19 at the moment? Hi, Nev. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much, isn't there, out there at the moment. Um, people are thinking about the new normal. I cannot count how many times I hear that expression used each day, I think, at the moment. But it's, I mean, it might sound a bit cliche, but it's true. Um, so one thing that um, I've been pointed to recently, the World Economic Forum have just launched their Global Risks Report, which is something they do each year, and um, and is filled in by sort of 800 World Economic Forum members. Interestingly, um, they're now reporting that climate-related issues dominated all of the top five long-term risks in terms of likelihood. So there's been a real shift from economic global risks to environmental. And actually, the economy's disappeared from the top five. And it's climate that's in there entirely. So uh, certainly at a global level, we are really seeing that people are recognising that the risk, the long-term risk profile is changing. Nikki, I think that's a very interesting finding that you raised from the kind of the World Economic Forum um, assessment of of where priorities lie. And I've been looking very recently at one of the most valuable uh, data sets in, in recent times to understand culture and values and how people perceive what their values are currently in, in these times of the pandemic and going forward. And that's the Barrett Value Center Global COVID-19 culture assessment. And the findings that we're seeing from that are really fascinating. They actually introduce quite a bit of debate and tension into that discussion. The fact that you you mentioned that environment is coming back into the forefront of people's minds as a long-term risk, we're seeing that that might be true for certain segments of society, but, but not for all. And actually, COVID-19 has introduced a little bit of a shift in terms of what people value and what they want to value and where the long-term implications are for what they want in society. I mean, I think a lot of the things we've just been discussing might seem on the face of it quite counterintuitive, in particular in terms of where people's priorities lie with the environment, with economic recovery. But in terms of the desire to have more sustainably driven businesses, these two things really do support each other. Um, and I read something that I'm sure you're going to love, Nikki, uh, the cover story of the latest issue of The Economist 
was the COVID and climate crises are connected. And the final paragraph was entitled Carpe COVID. (laughs) Uh, And I'm quoting now, the COVID-19 pause is not inherently climate friendly. Countries must make it so. And I thought that was a really interesting way to frame it because we are in the midst of a global crisis and there has been a reduction in carbon emissions globally. But that is due to severe restrictions impacting on people's lives, not through any action on our part to try and drive down emissions. So it's not a sustainable way to do it. And it is within the gift of governments to act, but they have to act. There is a positive action to be taken in this for a real difference to be made. Uh, I completely agree with you. And I think there is this interesting uh, duality maybe between um, the kind of big picture, how do we seize the day, uh, carpe COVID, love that, uh, and and do something different. But then actually at a very individual level, how do we make sure that our families are safe and our friends are safe? And, um, you know, I'm not sure necessarily individually people are all looking up and have lifted their eyes up to that long-term view because it does feel our lives feel very much day-to-day week-to-week I think at the moment don't they particularly particularly in the UK because we're still in in a form of lockdown really at the moment I, I was reading something the Ella MacArthur Foundation um have re- written a really interesting article around kind of COVID-19 and the circular economy and they've talked about the need just like you said Nev for a sustained effort and that you know success relies on um, on all stakeholders, in a, their words, a logic of co-creation. I think I think there is something about we can't just accept that because things are different at the moment, they'll continue to be different unless we do something. And that's at an individual level, at a community level or a corporate level, and then at a kind of government policy level. We, we, we've seen a glimpse of what's possible, and that's exciting. And we've seen a glimpse of what's possible in a very, very short period of time. You know, I mean, that I remember, Marius, you talking about the Barrett survey work and saying, you know, that the shift in culture that was visible in that data was, you know, in the the five weeks, I think, at which point, you know, we were five weeks into lockdown was just extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, just to, I guess, to share some of the the key headlines from that analysis and really to to introduce exactly what this survey has done and and what it's about, because... Some people might be very new to it listening listening to this. Uh, the the COVID nineteen assessment for culture and values it basically asks respondents from across the world for a selection of the ten values which best represent what are important to them, which are which are essentially the best reflection of their culture and values. And it asked them for those ten words which reflect those values before COVID nineteen. Uh, under current culture and value conditions during COVID-19 and in a desired future. And what we can learn from those different timeframes, from how people responded across those different timeframes, is, yeah, just to what extent there has been a shift. Some of the key findings that we've seen are that actually, although there has been in the media and in academia some emphasis on, on sustainability, and although we have seen quite a lot of coverage about the positive impacts of lockdown on things like lower emissions, uh, on things like less traffic in urban areas and fewer flights, which have an overall positive impact on how clean our air is, how clean our water is. 
you know, there are some risks on a longer term basis about how the general public responds to to that and how people will continue to approach matters of sustainability whilst there is still an immediate danger to their to their safety. So we have seen broadly a shift slightly away from sustainability related topics and towards things like innovation and agility. I think a lot of people are seeing changes to their professional life that they value, things like the fact that they can be more digitally enabled and digitally connected. And I think people are also seeing some of the positives of being able to work from home and having more of an emphasis on their employee and their their well-being as employees and as professionals. And I think that has a lot of positive uh, externalities for them. I think the challenge for us is how we actually continue with the positive momentum for sustainability-related topics that was seen at the start of this year and towards the end of last year with things like Extinction Rebellion, with things like Greta Thunberg's revitalization of certain certain topics for sustainability and climate change. Marius, I'm, I'm minded to, to think, though, whether we need to be as explicit about sustainability. I think at C-suite level, you know, and, and at, at senior level in organisations and local authorities and so on and so forth, you would expect that, yeah? But I wonder whether to you and, and I and Nev, you know, to just the kind of ordinary individuals, although there's nothing ordinary about you two, obviously, whether it's less about pushing in that direction for the sake of pushing, but actually recognising that the benefits of achieving a more sustainable and resilient and arguably probably more prosperous world are the reasons for doing it, really. So it's less about the, well, this is really cheesy, here it comes, it's less about the destination, it's more about the journey. So my my example I always come back to, and it's an old one now, but you think about the BMW i8, okay? So so apologies to anyone listening who has no idea what I'm talking about, but I am a self-confessed petrol head who now drives a 100% electric car. Um, for me, when the i8 came out, it looked like a beautiful car the fact that it was an electric car was almost irrelevant actually it looked beautiful and it drove phenomenally and um the fact that it as i said was brilliant for the environment in comparison to you know an equivalent six-cylinder sports car was was almost irrelevant and i kind of feel the same which is for me the reason i'm excited about the circular economy is because transitioning to something more circular will give additional benefits and those might be lifestyle benefits or let me give you an example right so Gucci this week have come out and said they're going to cut down the number of fashion shows they do a year from five to two and those two shows a year are going to be seasonless and I mean I'm not somebody who follows the uh, the world fashion uh, fashion so circuit you know as you might know but I think it's interesting in terms of the impact that might have on people's lives mm. so by just slowing down the kind of the high level fashion if you like that will reflect onto fast fashion that will impact on people's pockets probably a little bit by making it seasonless perhaps making it a little more genderless like that there, there may be um positive impacts to that decision which are nothing to do with the environmental impact of that decision they're ancillary but they're really beneficial to people and and so for me I guess what I'm saying is I think you're right that the long-term sustainability view might be off people's radar but maybe that's okay maybe what we need to do is just make sure that we can can head in that direction and show the other benefits that come from it and 
was reading a piece in The Guardian that Rebecca Willis wrote last, last week, and she talks about a purposeful transition away from the old, old economy. And I think it's that, it's being really intentional about that transition, but not, not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but remembering that along the way, there will be lots of other positives that we can take from that, really. I definitely agree. And uh, I think it's a really good point. People, through having more flexibility around their life, through being able to work from home, through being able to, um, you know, not necessarily make that business trip by flying to a certain destination because it can be done remotely via a video call. I think that that's one of the major changes that is going to have a really big effect on the sustainability question and on, and on the climate. And yeah, as you said, it's not necessarily, it's not people being deliberate about changing how things are done for the sake of sustainability and, and society. It's because it's of better, uh, it's of more convenient needs to them. Mm. Uh, it's more about the journey, as you said, than the destination. I'm glad you picked up on my cheesiness. I th- it's got to be easy, hasn't it? It's got, if it's yeah. not easy for yeah. people, then um, when you think about flipping it, you think about COVID and lockdown, that is the opposite of easy, isn't it? And people did it because they recognised there was a clear and and present threat. We've heard right at the beginning of this, you know, I mentioned the World Economic Forum report. There is a clear, there is a clear threat to the challenges that we are, for whatever reason, struggling, I think, at a very individual level to um to be able to see the impact of that even though everything is telling us that is a bigger threat than a global pandemic so what will it take for us to change our behaviors and that's where i think the kind of culture and values work that that we've been involved in is really interesting because you know when we talk to talk to the guys from the Barrett value center they talk about you know we value what we need and our values drive our behaviors and i think that's really interesting in terms of unlocking what needs to change in order to be able to have a more sustainable and resilient planet and to be able to combat the big challenges that we've got around climate change and biodiversity and habitat loss and so on and so forth. It's, it's got to resonate for individuals, hasn't it, I think? And it's got to connect into their values and just telling people what to do. Well, when my dad tells me what to do, it doesn't generally you know, you can ask my mum, have the have the best impact, really. I'm not great at being told what to do. I never have been. And and I think for me, you could probably extrapolate that to wider society. We don't like being told what to do. Um, so how do we really connect in with what people's values are? And how do we um and how do we ensure that we can still drive in that direction? So for me, that's how do we transition to a more circular economy, but making sure that we're very clear about what the benefits are along the way and that we really understand those and we sweat those as much as we possibly can. So that it's a really easy route for people to take, um, rather than it feeling like it's a it's an either or, I guess, really. So we've talked a little bit about the idea that Corona could be used as a global reset button and the positive opportunities for businesses to move forward using more sustainable approaches. I guess, Nikki, I know this might be a tough question to answer, but do you think that businesses will change? Um, I mean, like you say, benefits need to be there and we need to make it easy for people. But do you think we could start to see real change emerging from the pandemic? Well, that's a massive question, isn't it? I think, actually, it depends on where each individual business is, really. So there are some businesses, you know, the, 
Ellen MacArthur Foundation has the CE100, so 100 companies who are uh, really geared up and thinking about circuit economy. And there are some great examples in there. Um, Renault, I love this fact, 80, oh, Renault, don't shout at me if I get this wrong. I think 84% of all new Renaults come from old Renaults. And that's great, isn't it? But the way that Renault have done that is that they've had to engage with bits of the supply chain that they would have never previously talked to. So for Renault, that means going and talking to scrap dealers, you know, and making scrap dealers part of the Renault supply chain. Um, so how do you gather as much of your old Renaults back to then, um, you know, remanufacture, as well as designing for disassembly? So that sounds a bit of a niche term, doesn't it, really? But it's fairly obvious. How do you, when you're designing products, think about how they'll be taken apart and reused? You know, buildings can be designed for disassembly. Cars, anything can. Um, so that might be slimming down the different types of plastic that you use and not using combinations. So actually, when they do come to disassembly, you can take them to pieces and you can very easily recycle them. Um, and, you know, ideally reuse rather than recycle. Kind of the obvious stuff that we're really familiar with. So, um, so for me, there are some companies who are, really great dan owns another one really great at thinking about circular economy principles there are some companies that are probably doing it and just not calling it the circular economy because they don't it's just not language that they're familiar with um and then and there'll be there'll be some organizations who are doing it for very altruistic reasons who recognize they have a social contract that they might be an anchor organization for a community that they sit within we certainly see that in the in the uk in the water sector for example um there might be others that do it for, for much more traditional GDP, you know, profit reasons, because they recognize that actually materials reuse is much more efficient than using virgin materials. I think, I think companies have got to ask themselves what's stopping them starting to transition to something more circular. And that might be that they don't have enough data to be able to convert to insight to work out if it's doable which it probably is, by the way, and how. Um, it might be that they don't they don't know what their consumers think about it and they're concerned about the impact it might have. And so there's a piece of work to do around that. I guess for me, I would be asking companies to say what's, you know, ask yourself what's stopping you transitioning to something more circular. And, um, and then it's getting out there and starting conversations. I am, as you two will both know, a big fan of conversations. But I really think that um, the circular economy is probably the best example of a cross-silo opportunity that, that, that businesses have, really. And, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about open innovation and how you can bring examples from other sectors into your sector to really make a positive difference. And um, I know, Marius, you you know, I love the podcast that you guys did recently on exactly that, actually. And how, how do you look at um, sound engineers and bring them into a leakage context, for example, or, you know, um, yeah, traders and how can they be helpful in, in the same context? Like there's there's loads of examples where as soon as you open your problems up to a much wider community than perhaps you originally thought, you get some great answers back that you never thought you would. And for me, there's a beautiful coming together of the sort of challenges that circular economy principles present to organisations and the opportunities that open innovation principles provide to try and solve some of those challenges. Just hearing what you said, Nikki, I was, I was going to um, say that, you know, it's, it's amazing looking at the time that we find ourselves in now and looking at the innovations that have taken place under the conditions of the pandemic and how, 
rapidly the world has had to had to make those changes and how businesses have had to make those changes and i think one of the key learnings is that we don't have to wait for something catastrophic to happen to make mm. those positive changes businesses before the covid pandemic many of them will have been doing things digitally many of them will have been doing things remotely beforehand and a few of them will have been caught out by by not doing that in time and not investing in that in time with the circular economy and with with the environment the question is even more obvious and more blatant we don't have to wait for the world to become an inhospitable place for us to start making changes to our economy and how we do things in a more circular fashion it will be too late by then i think it's a really good question um that you pose nikki which is what's stopping you and if if there's one inspiration that i would see from the current situation that we find ourselves and how we might apply that it's to instinctively seek for opportunities for innovation and to actually be proactive about doing that i think that with the circular economy there are a couple of very clear and obvious dominating issues which aren't going away that are going to make that topic more and more relevant for us and and are going to make the need for us to act more more pertinent those are things like climate change population growth uh scarcity of clean water for for growing populations around the world these kinds of topics are going to make the circular economy a much more prominent and necessary uh way of living for all of us but especially in the developing world and in urban areas um in the developed world where there's going to be growths in population and as you said we can start to understand the data around those topics now we can start to innovate the problem and draw upon the vast knowledge of society of different aspects of society and of the crowd to understand how we can tackle those challenges because it's going to be something that affects all of us not just a small subset of society but all of us so therefore it would be most welcome for us to draw upon the knowledge and the insights of all of society i couldn't agree more i think that's our um that's our challenge isn't it really it really makes me think of a west african proverb that i um i learned when i was in burkina faso years ago on a war trade visit and it is if you want to go fast you go alone if you want to go far you go together and i feel like that is absolutely what we need to do right now really it's it's how do we bring together our collective minds and thoughts and and tackle actually what as we as we said when we came in what the world economic forum see as the the biggest global risks facing us now um but do that in a way that is genuinely more collective and joined up than ever before because everything really is connected So as you've heard throughout this discussion, there has never been a better time to reset our approach to sustainability as a global economy. And as Nikki said, we want to understand what's stopping businesses from seizing this opportunity. So, are you intrigued by this topic but don't know where to start? Well, it's Circular Economy Week here in London. 
organised by Circular London, the 1st to the 5th of June marks a week of events, activities and workshops showcasing and celebrating the transition to a low-carbon, resilient, resource-efficient future. To celebrate this, at Axia Origin, we are offering free one-hour slots to help individuals frame the scope of the challenge within the context of their business. Email contact at axiaorigin.com That's A-X-I-A-O-R-I-G-I-N to book your one-hour exploratory conversation. And of course, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcasts to hear more from us in the future. Thanks for listening. Take care.